As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Wisconsin Supreme Court's deciding whether to scrap the governor's health emergency, the basis for the state's mask mandate right now. The fate of this latest challenge still up for grabs. Wisconsin is currently waging its toughest battles against the COVID-19 pandemic. He is not allowed to continue to keep Wisconsin in a state of emergency without approval from the legislature. And the school year started and boom, our numbers skyrocketed, driven for the first time by 18 to 24 year olds. And Governor Evers issued Executive Order 90 in response to those emergency circumstances, not to a stagnant or static COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 is uh, been impacting our state for eight months. So it still meets the definition of a public health emergency. And if the governor wishes to extend it, he needs approval from the legislature. The coronavirus goes to court again. Another Wisconsin battle over what the governor is or is not allowed to mandate during a pandemic. This time, the focus is on an order to mask up. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, Amanda. Today is Tuesday, November 17th. We are here once again with Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Jason, yesterday Wisconsin Supreme Court heard oral arguments over Governor Tony Evers' latest mask mandate, and we've seen a lot of court battles over the last several months. Remind us how we got where we are today. Well, so back in May, there was the lawsuit against Safer at Home. You remember that was issued by the health secretary designee, Andrea Palm, and that pretty much led to you know businesses churches schools across the state shutting down uh, there were some as as the as the order progressed over time they they allowed various uh, accommodations over time but still in may the supreme court struck down safer at home and uh, so that led to a situation where the governor said because of the Supreme Court ruling, and at that time it was a four to three ruling, uh, he said that because of that, it really stripped him of, of being able to act in the future. But since then, he has issued two more emergency declarations, uh, declaring a, a public health emergency. Uh, he did it uh, first in March and, and, then, and, then in uh, and then in July and then finally in September. And the one that we're in right now, we are in the midst of a health emergency that is, uh, expires uh, this weekend, actually. And so when we're talking about the mask mandate in question, was that part of the uh, most recent order that expires this weekend? Yeah, the the last two health emergencies issued by Governor Evers included then uh, as as uh, flowing from those emergencies 
there was these the mask mandate. So there was no mask mandate attached to the first emergency declared in March, but the one declared in July and the one declared in September flowing from that was a separate order based upon that emergency declaration that mandated masks be worn. This all comes down to a state statute that says that the the governor can issue a state of emergency um, unilaterally, but that it shall not exceed 60 days. That is the key that I think is being argued here, that that, the, the governor can do this without the legislature, but it can't exceed 60 days unless... That extension is something that is approved by a joint resolution of the legislature. So it all comes down to if the limit is 60 days, well, we're well past 60 days, assuming this is all one emergency. But are these unique, distinct emergencies? That seems to be what the governor and his attorneys are arguing is that these are uh, evolving emergencies that are all tied to this one pandemic. Is that really what this boils down to? Yeah, it really, really, really boils down to time. It really boils down to what the conservatives are arguing in this lawsuit was was brought forward by a conservative taxpayer. He's the one who is arguing against the, the latest emergency. He's going to the statute, the clear text, which you just read. Uh, it, it says the governor may issue an executive order declaring a state of emergency. And it says, as I want to reiterate this, this is what was reiterated again and again by the lawyer for the conservative taxpayer. A state of emergency shall not exceed 60 days unless the state of emergency is extended by joint resolution of the legislature. So if you listen to the oral arguments yesterday at the Wisconsin Supreme Court, again and again and again and again and again and again and again, the lawyer arguing against the emergency brought up the fact that the 60 days has expired. The first emergency, they said, was valid back in March. That expired after 60 days. And at that point, no more emergencies can be declared. That is what the conservatives were arguing, the conservative taxpayer and his lawyer. The Evers administration says each of the separate subsequent emergencies, both the one that the governor declared in July for 60 days and then the one we're in now that's running almost to 60 days, it'll be at 60 days this weekend, that those are separate. It's the same pandemic, but the situation has changed. The, for example, they, they said in, in the September order He's dealing with uh, an influx of cases at the college level. You know, he, each of the situations is different, they're saying, in the midst of this one pandemic, but it's not a static situation. It's not, you know, like a forest fire would be a static situation. You've got the one forest fire, the, the governor declares an emergency for 60 days, and then at the end of that, it expires. What the Evers administration is saying here is that this emergency keeps changing and the governor keeps responding to a changing environment. So as we look at the likelihood of what Wisconsin's Supreme Court will do, the makeup of the court right now is different than it was when it struck down the extension of Governor Evers' safer at home order. So how, how do we have any inkling as to which way they're going to go on this? The makeup of the court has changed in, in one big way, and that is that one of the conservative members of the court back in May, Justice Daniel Kelly, he lost his election uh, to the Supreme Court to a progressive uh, justice who's now sitting on the Supreme Court, and that's Jill Karofsky. Uh, so when you look at what happened in May, it was actually a four to three ruling striking down Safer at Home. Justice Kelly was one of those four votes voting to strike down Safer at Home. So now you take him away and you could see that this, this ruling could go with the progressives. However, the big 
change here now not is also that Brian Hagedorn, who's one of the members of the conservative bloc, he voted with the progressives. He voted to uphold Safer at Home back in May. But this time around, during oral, oral arguments this week, yesterday, he seemed skeptical of the governor's argument that the governor can continue to issue new emergencies in the midst of the same pandemic. Uh, he said the legislature definitely put limits because that they're giving the governor in in the statute, in that statute that gives the governor the power to declare an emergency. The legislature is giving the governor amazing powers. And Hagedorn, Justice Hagedorn, raised skepticism that they would continually give over this power over all these times that the governor could reissue an emergency in the midst of the same pandemic. So uh, Hagedorn seemed skeptical of the governor's argument. Again, it's hard. You never want to predict based on oral arguments because sometimes they're asking questions to convince their colleagues of something or maybe they're trying to wrestle with something themselves. So we never want to predict how the court is going to rule based on their questions. But again, Hagedorn did maybe show some of his cards yesterday when he did raise skepticism of the government's uh, or the governor's argument yesterday. Obviously, when you get into the the nitty gritty and the weeds of the arguments that are being made, a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, balance of powers, who has the power to do what and who does not. And, and in this case, Rick Essenberg, who's the attorney for Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, arguing on behalf of the plaintiff, uh, says that, you know, the, the argument here is that whether or not the governor has the power to unilaterally keep extending uh, the the emergency order saying that, you know, the, the statute is clear that it should be the legislature in concert with the governor uh, involved in these extensions. For the governor's administration, they're, they're arguing that, well, the legislature could, if they don't like the order, if they think it is, uh, it, it doesn't comport with the statute, they have the power to convene right now and shoot it down. They could vote down this executive order. They've given themselves that power. Uh, so he that's what the Evers administration says. The, the plaintiff says they don't have to do that. Essentially, they don't have to act to revoke this. That doesn't mean the governor can take. Is that really what's going on? Here's the push and pull between does the legislature have to take an overt action to end this emergency order or does the governor have the ability to do it in the first place? Yeah, that was definitely brought up yesterday, including by uh, two of the progressive members of the Supreme Court, including Jill Karofsky. They, they brought up the fact that the, you know, the legislature could easily meet in session uh, the day after the governor issues an emergency and strike it down. Now, that is that is true. The the legislature does have the power to strike down an emergency. But what the lawyer for the conservative taxpayer said yesterday was if the governor is issuing an invalid order, they, they believe that it's unlawful and invalid. They say that the, the legislature doesn't have to meet it. It, it at the basis of its declaration. They're saying it's it's not valid. And, and so uh, the taxpayer is able, because he's a taxpayer, he, he's able to bring suit against uh, the governor uh, making an illegal, what they say is, is an unlawful, unlawful order. Well, and I want to talk about the politics of this, because as you mentioned, Jason, it's a taxpayer who's bringing this lawsuit, not the Republican-led legislature. As Brian mentioned, they could theoretically meet to vote this down. Is this all set up this way because the Republican legislature really doesn't have an appetite to shoot down a mask mandate in this climate? And now we have this kind of convenient battle that's going on that they can get behind without having to make the decision? Right. So this is a, a really tricky issue for Republicans because when you, know, when you look at the polls, um, the mask mandate has broad support in Wisconsin. 
there is a sense that this is a really tricky political issue. I was talking to one of the one of our state legislators who was up for reelection uh, this fall, and when I wanted to do an interview with her about the mask mandate, you know, she was like, "That's a really tricky issue because she's got you know she's got to uh, satisfy people maybe on the conservative side of things who you know don't be- don't believe that there should be a mask mandate, but at the same time you've got members of uh, more moderates and people on the progressive side who believe that, you know, yes, there should be a mask mandate mandated at the statewide level. Um, so this is a really tricky issue for Republicans. And, and they did not have a vote. They, they did not have a vote to strike down these emergency orders. Um, and it's possibly because this would be a really tricky vote for them to have to, you know, choose between uh, possibly alienating people on the right or alienating the more moderate people that they do need to win re-election as well in the state of Wisconsin. Jason, I know the, the, the attorney for the plaintiff, Rick Essenberg, uh, said in, in his oral argument, you can criticize the legislature. You can criticize them for not meeting, for not acting, for not taking a position, for not having a plan, but that doesn't necessarily mean that automatically gives the governor powers that the statute doesn't otherwise provide. So he's still arguing that yeah, yeah, maybe maybe the legislature is open to criticism here for what they have or haven't done. That's not the point of this case. But in the end, let's imagine for a moment that this Supreme Court does once again strike down an emergency order. And, and, and it, what happens then? I mean, does that mean that the governor and legislature have to get together and, and, and work on something? The legislature has made it pretty clear they don't want to do that. So would this effectively mean the mask mandate in Wisconsin goes away even at a time when we have record numbers day after day? I think that would be the case that it would be the same thing that we saw back in May when the Supreme Court struck down the safer at home order. You saw some of the communities, including Milwaukee, you saw uh, Racine and Kenosha. We saw some of the counties struggling with what to do and maybe coming up with their own version of a local safer at home order um, that again had been challenged in court but uh, those orders were allowed to stay including in Milwaukee that there were was able to stay on the books uh, and then you saw local communities also putting forward their own mask mandates uh, including in Milwaukee where they passed that into law and uh, several of the other communities in our area as well passing their own mask mandates so if the Supreme Court strikes down the the this emergency, which includes the mask mandate. I think you're still going to see those local level emergency declarations ordering masks or, or ordinances like in the case of Milwaukee. It is an ordinance passed by the Common Council, signed by the by the mayor. Uh, you're going to still still see those in play. Uh, those ones uh, are not part of this current lawsuit that we're talking about at the statewide level. So you could have a patchwork. And and that was one of the things that the Evers administration had raised back in the spring when they were fighting to defend safer at home. They said they don't want to see this thing get struck down at the statewide level because then you'd have a patchwork where, you know, you go over county lines and you could have packed bars and then you go over to the other county line and, you know, they're still shut down. So they they didn't want to see a patchwork. But I think if this does get struck down, this mask mandate, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see People optionally wearing it, uh, you know, some businesses and lots of businesses actually, man, you know, mandate it. They ask that their customers, if you're going to come into our coffee shop or come into our restaurant, even without e- uh, the Evers uh, mask mandate, you're still going to see people, uh, businesses and, and churches and schools uh, requiring people coming into the building to, to wear that mask. Well, and that makes me wonder about the the practical effects here, because realistically, the mask mandate, it's not like it's enforced at a statewide level. You don't see 
police walking around giving people tickets for not wearing masks. So a lot of it from the, the public perception portion of it has come down to what looks like to be business liability, right? I see a lot of the signs that are posted on business stores that say, because of the governor's mandate, we need you to wear a mask. It's a way to not anger customers, still require the mask, and then make sure they're not liable for anything that happens. So if the mask mandate gets struck down, I'm wondering then what that patchwork is going to look like and how seriously businesses take that idea of of liability or those local health orders and how much those step up. Right. And and that's that's one of the the questions is this whole idea of enforcement. Right. Um, Here in Milwaukee, I I had placed an open records request for all of the 911 calls placed in the first week of the city's mask mandate ordinance. And it was dozens of phone calls, people calling 911 uh, to complain about uh, maybe somebody at a restaurant, maybe it was the uh, the shop, the, the uh, business uh, person uh, calling to say, hey, customer X is in my store and they're not wearing the mask mandate. Can you bring a squad out to to, you know, to deal with them? And, and the police again and again and again and again, the, the 911 dispatcher said, we're not dealing with this health emergency. You got to call the health department. And the health department has given warnings to businesses. They're most recently, um, this weekend, as uh, you know, reported by Fox 6, is uh, Cassidy Williams, uh, there was a, a scuffle at, at Serb Hall where there was a political rally. And um, the, the entity, the business, is the one who's going to get fined because people at that hall, Serb Hall, uh, were not following various parts of the city's uh, health orders, including uh, – for public gatherings, they asked that you sit down and people were standing up and health department officials were asking people to sit down. They weren't sitting down. They weren't wearing a mask. So instead of the people that were breaking the the rules, uh, they're not going to be fined, but it's the business, Serb Hall, that's going to be fined. Several fines of $500 is what we were reporting uh, this weekend. Uh, so it comes down to uh, police are not enforcing these mask mandates. It's, it's sort of an honor system in many communities. But at the same time, you know, the health department does, ha- at least in Milwaukee, does have that power under their ordinance to find businesses. It's rarely been used. A lot of, you know, many businesses have been fine, uh, have been warned, I should say, have been warned. But there's only been, the last I checked, fines to uh, one or two businesses uh, based on violating these health orders. So it's really rare that the city's actually uh, going to that step of, of fining. But as this pandemic rose and as people have already been warned, I think you're going to see more of the city of Milwaukee in particular going after and fining various uh, large uh, groups or, or restaurants or bars that are violating these orders. And that's the city for the city's ordinance. That's not for the statewide mask mandate. That is kind of existing on its own plane without that same level of enforcement. Right, exactly. Yeah, so this is, I'm just talking purely about the local ordinance issued and and signed into ordinance in the city of Milwaukee. But at the statewide level, you know, sheriffs and others are saying, we're not, we're not going to enforce a a mask man. We've got bigger things to worry about. So right now you're not seeing that enforced at the statewide level, this mask mandate. Again, it's sort of an honor system. It's the businesses that are, as you mentioned, uh, asking people to, to mask up when they come into their store shop or, or restaurant. There may not be enforcement statewide, but certainly a statewide mandate in order 
carries a uh, symbolic weight to some degree some for for some maybe more than others but there is something at the at the bare minimum symbolic about the state uh the, the governor saying you know everyone needs to wear masks in particularly indoors and, and in certain situations when you look back at when safer at home was shot down in that four to three decision by the wisconsin supreme court back in may we were heading in a direction that I think many people thought things were about to get better. The numbers weren't so bad at the time. Summer was close ahead. I think there was a widespread belief that we were headed in the right direction. Even at the time, you had the governor saying, just give this a couple more weeks. Um, you know, this is too premature. We don't have a plan in place. We just needed a couple of more weeks. The argument wasn't we need to keep this going for six, seven, eight months or indefinitely, because at the time, I think the, the belief was we were maybe nearing the end of the worst of it, at least throughout the summer before a potential second wave would come in. But right now, we are at a time in mid-November where the hospitals across the state are filling up. Uh, we're hearing about increases in hospitalizations, uh, intensive care cases, deaths. COVID-19 is surging all across the state. And, and while the Supreme Court is deciding a legal case here, that opinion doesn't occur in a vacuum. Could where we are today versus where we are in May have an impact on someone, say, a swing decision like Justice Hagedorn, a conservative who joined the progressives back in May and may be the deciding factor again this time? Could the situation we're in right now impact where the court goes with this? I, I definitely think I, I definitely think that is, you know, some of the things that they're going to be wrestling with as they come up with with their decision. And again, I think right now I would keep most of my focus on Justice Hagedorn to see if he's going to break with the progressives as he did in May, or if he will be convinced by this the statute that says it's a 60-day emergency. Is this emergency a new emergency, changed emergency, giving the, the governor new powers to declare an emergency? That's something I think you're going to see uh, Justice Hagedor in wrestling with. And, and if you go back and listen to the arguments, people making their pitches you know, raising their questions, uh, maybe their his fellow justices also raising questions to try to get Justice Hagedorn on their side one way or the other. And of course, this latest emergency runs out on Saturday. So Governor Evers is is more than likely going to have to issue a new emergency sometime soon to continue that mask mandate, at least until the Supreme Court rules one way or the other on on his uh, emergency powers here. When do we think we'll have a decision? It's hard. It's hard to say. They don't. They don't give a preview of that. It could be weeks, or it could be potentially that they would issue a, a ruling, know, knowing again that this thing runs out on Saturday. It is possible that they could issue a, a ruling soon and, and not give their um, their their long written legal explanation. They could just issue the ruling, either upholding or striking down the emergency, and then say we're going to have you know our full legal rationale later. They could do that. Or it's possible they could wait weeks, um, let this one expire, let the governor issue a new emergency, and then and then put out their their argument uh, later. They did meet yesterday afternoon after the oral arguments in, in private conference. So again, wrestling with each other, making their pitches to each other, kind of talking through, and then coming up with their own rationale for where they want to go. But again, it's hard. We don't know. We never know, especially a case like this, when that decision is going to come. It could come today, it could come Friday, or it could come in weeks. Jason, we really appreciate you joining us once again. We love having you on, especially the, just the insight and analysis you're able to offer on a, on a difficult subject, a challenging one, but a very important one for the whole state of Wisconsin. Thanks again for joining us on Open Record. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
And we're going to continue bringing you these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic, the fallout from the presidential election, police community relations, and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, if there's an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email. Send them to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Thanks again, Jason. And as always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Thursday.